I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. On today's episode, I welcome my good pal and author Garth Jones with his segment, Pass the Amel, as we look at the exploitation classic, Dark Age. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I'm going to give you one good reason why crocodiles should be protected, here on Big Squid. Thanks for joining me today as we return to the world of classic Aussie movies. Uh, we check these uh, types of movies out with Garth and his uh, segment, Pass the Amel. And today we're having fun with the film Dark Age. But uh, just a bit of a heads up, actually, before we go any further. Garth and I recorded this a few weeks ago and through a mishap, and when I say a mishap, uh, I mean me making an awful mistake. I lost the original audio recording and the script. I was like, oh, I just had one of those weeks uh, a couple of weeks ago where I just (laughs) made heaps of mistakes. I was all over the shop and I think there was just a little bit of a general sense of fatigue uh, setting in. I, um, I I felt so bad, actually. Uh, and then I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was just saying, I'm so tired, and I feel terrible for saying that I'm tired. Uh, and, you know, like I've been busy throughout the year. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of my friends and uh, fellow comedians haven't been uh, busy, you know, they've been struggling with work, etc. And I, I felt a little bit guilty. And uh, my friend said, don't feel guilty. We're all feeling the same thing. It feels like we have collectively run a marathon and we've gotten to the end and then suddenly someone said, fantastic, now there's only 15 kilometres to go. And we're like, what? But I just finished the marathon. What do you mean there's 15 k's to go? And that feels like it sums up perfectly where we're at with 2021. So anyway, 
I made a mistake. I lost the original audio and, you know, these things happen. But I did uh, some uh, looking up things online, did a lot of searching, and I found backup of the audio. So, huzzah! Fantastic. Uh, The audio is not as good as the original audio, but it's still fine. I've used my best producing skills to make it as good as possible for you. Basically, just a bit of a heads up if you're wondering why when you listen to this, it sounds a little bit like I have a head cold. So I'm sorry for mucking that up, but it's still definitely uh, 100% listenable and uh, still a great episode as well. I don't know if you heard yesterday's episode. Uh, That was the latest one with Rove and uh, we've been covering the new season of Doctor Who. God, I'm really loving this series. I'm loving talking to Rove about it. And if you're a Doctor Who fan, I hope you're enjoying those episodes too. I'm also really excited that you're going to hear our two-part Space Odyssey episode this week. And Ben and I brought in a guest to help us dive deep into Children of Men. And that guest is Richard Feidler. I know. Richard. For those of you who are overseas, might not be across Richard's work. He is one of our most respected radio presenters. Uh, He hosts the show Conversations on the ABC. It is the most downloaded podcast in Australia. And we're wrapped to have him on this podcast. And I think you're going to love that two-part episode too. The first one will drop on Thursday and the second on Friday. So you still have a couple of days to check out Children of Men again, or for the first time, uh, before they're available. As uh, you are probably aware, I finally set up a Patreon for the podcast, and with that comes bonus episodes, scripts, early looks at new segments, etc. And every patron gets an episode dedicated to them, and today's shout-out goes to Jamie East. Not only has Jamie been a long-time supporter of this podcast, she was also incredibly gracious and letting me know that Jamie is in fact a girl and not a boy, as I originally thought when I read her name. It is always appreciated when someone points out your mistake with grace and an absence of fury. I really appreciate that, Jamie. Thank you for being nice to me about that. And also thank you to listening to this podcast and supporting us. It is really appreciated. And you know, everyone who signed up to the Patreon, thank you so much. But this episode is all about Jamie. And I hope you uh, enjoy what we've recorded here today. Uh, We have a lot of new subscribers here, so for the newbies, this is a podcast where my friends and I talk about the art and entertainment that we love, and in the process, we might shine a light on something you may not have heard of before. And, you know, maybe in the process, you might also like it. Today's episode is a prime example of that, as we look at the classic Aussie film Dark Age in Garth Jones' segment... For over 200 million years, the crocodile has roamed the swamplands, coexisting with the people of the land. Today, it faces its greatest predator. There was another attack last night. Two fishermen. Fishermen, that's a laugh. They were poached. Poachers or not, they are beaten. 
looks like you've done it well and truly this time, Bessa. Me? It was one of your crocs that did it, not me. This is the one we thought we'd never see in our lifetime, man. Did we have to kill it then? Yeah. You're not getting that numb and worry. It's smart. Him belong this river. I've got to stop it. I don't want to hurt it, but I've got no choice. Don't you understand? Numb and worry carries the spirit of the people. That's why he says he can't be killed. Devil get him. He tried to kill that crocodile and devil spirit get him. Where is he? Where's he gone? Like it. I tell you one thing, Harris. If you don't want to catch the bastard, I'll make bloody sure I do. Steve, it's not worth bothering. Piss off, please. Oh, 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 get out! Leave it alone! You people frightened that crocodile. You frightened animal. It's killed. I've organized spotter planes and there's a reward out. Five thousand dollars. You tell me how to solve the problem. That's that number one. Catch catch him alive and bring him back. Why do you always have to be a hero? Now, I've told the minister the problem solved. I told him it's over. If anyone touches that clock, they'll be sorry. It's alive or right, and that's the way it's going to stay. Dark Age. We were doing that famous thing where before you start recording, you end up talking about something that's actually quite interesting. And it's like, hang on a sec, well, why am I recording this? And this was just off the back of you listen to the, the segment, Hamo's Hot Takes, about my rants on uh, the Batman. And turns out you're feeling kind of similar about it. Uh, yeah, you uh, took, took, took me on a journey and uh, you got exactly where I've been feeling about it for the last <laughs> week or so since I watched the trailer. Um, you know, our first Batman comic was 1983, I think. Right. And been in ever since. But, yeah, just sort of all the pieces look really great here but just don't really give a shit. Right. Uh, but we'll see it. Well, yeah, yeah. I'll- <laughs> yeah, I'm very yeah, enthusiastic to see it with the cast and the director and, you know, the, um, to some extent, uh, you know, what they seem to be doing is a seven version of Batman. Yes. Or a, fin- a Fincher-style take. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which maybe 10 years ago you would have been more excited for. Right. So <laughs> this, is, this is what I was going to say to you. Uh, there was a bit for the rant that I was going to put in there and I, it just kind of was something else, so I, so I left it out. But I don't know if you would remember this, but about a year after The Dark Knight came out when we were both living in Melbourne, I had a dream where I had just left the cinema having seen the third Nolan Batman film and in so it's not that I dreamt the movie but I dreamt the conversation we were having about the movie and in the conversation it was uh, a, the Riddler as a serial killer in a Fincher-esque seven slash uh, kind of homage just like Heat was, you know, yeah. the uh, blueprint for The Dark Knight. And yeah, that's was, Mario's where that probably happened. I reckon it was at Mario's. Yeah. <laughs> Big shout out to the good, good, good chance that was the case. Yeah, to the Penne Punanesca there. But yeah. the, uh, and it was set during a heat wave. That's what I remember in the discussion. It was set during a heat wave. So, 
and it was a, I was really excited. I was in a really good mood. And then it's like 12 years later, no, no, no. which gets back to your point, you know, a decade ago, I mean, you'd be wrapped. Yeah, I mean, we just, you know, after, before Christopher Nolan, there was uh, the Darren Aronofsky year one that seems like it's, you know, they've taken an aspect to that as well. Yes. And, and rolled that into, you know, there seems to be just like, you know, as you're saying, like all the Batman projects that are happening, uh, you know, in infinite sort of fashion, uh, but sort of be just rolling very old ideas into these new, new projects. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Aronofsky was like, he was, uh, uh, owned a garage. Alfred yeah. was a mechanic or something, you know, yeah. but yeah, aspects of that, um, you know, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I'm moderately excited, more excited than for most of the Marvel stuff now. Well, um, I, I guess it's more a case of uh, it's not that I don't want superhero films. I just want other things as well. Oh, totally, and yeah. This is, uh, you know, a, a clunky segue into I have to tell you, I really enjoyed Dark Age because it just <laughs> felt, it felt like it just feels like its own thing. It doesn't feel like I'm watching a cookie-cutter Movie. Well, you remember, remember when I saw you in Sydney uh, in that window where you could go places uh, previously this year and yeah. just as we were leaving, I said, no, we should do Razorback next. Yes. And then I sort of, when we got to this point, I thought, you know, that's the obvious choice. Yeah. Uh, but there's a big streak of, uh, I guess, uh, eco-horror that came around that time. Yes. Uh, you know, Mother Nature fighting back and sort of sticking it to... Uh, you know, the arrogant, uh, you, know, you know, there's a film called Long Weekend where it's an awful couple that are away camping and, you know, no spoiling anything, but, you know, the uh, nature sort of turns the tables on them and uh, takes them out eventually. I guess that's a spoiler. Uh, you know, raise the back. Even stuff like um, Howling 3, which I rewatched a little while ago, which was mm-hmm. made, set in Sydney. Yep. Um, and it's it's took it's completely insane. That's we'll probably get to it at some stage. You know, that's a film about the werewolves, sort of like um, and their indigenous forebears, right? And and how they sort of rise up to you know yeah to smite the you know the the colonial settler mentality, I guess, which a lot of these are about. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That it's very much just a story about. Well, I've got the synopsis here. Steve Harris is a ranger assigned to deal with a massive saltwater crocodile that's been attacking and killing people in the Northern Territory. And when we say Northern Territory, quite clearly cans. But anyway, he finds himself at odds with the local... In the last 30 years there. Yeah, nothing's happened. (laughs) And he finds himself at odds with the local Aboriginal community who believe the crocodile should be preserved since it contains the spirit of the past. Steve must develop a plan to respect the wishes of the Aborigines and also protect the residents threatened by the crocodile and weirdly for a low budget film with a fake croc, it has a lot going on, which is what you just kind of mentioned. Yeah, sure it does. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, well, it came out in 87. Yeah. So that's the year before the bicentenary of Australia. Uh, yeah. You know, the celebration of 200 years of uh, white colonial settlement, which has obviously raised and continues to raise a lot of, uh, you know, anxiety and sort of conversations about, you know, where we are as a a country. Yeah. Uh, And unfortunately that'll be ongoing uh, based on the current mob that are in power. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, also just, you know, interesting to look at the sort of uh, pop culture from that sort of era and think about how much more activist and, you know, for want of a better term, woke, 
you know, a lot of the a lot of the film and music was, you know, Midnight Oils, you know, they were all singing about new nuclear proliferation and like, yeah. you know, land rights and all. And it seems to have disappeared now. Uh, as the culture's become more homogenized, you don't get yeah. that sort of content anymore. You know, you yeah, really yeah. have to go looking. You, you really forget that uh, the forefront of Australian culture back then, we, you know, were very dismissive of the past, but it did yeah. seem to be engaging with, uh, you know, important issues while producing whatever your art form is. And yeah. it's easy to be dismissive of this movie. But I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't want to, yeah, you, I don't, you know, the uh, ALP had been, you know, moving towards like, you know, Paul Keating's Redfern speech in 91. You know, yeah. there were steps, steps happening that sort of obviously got um, completely derailed in the mid-90s. But, you know, there was some sense that, like, um, you know, political parties actually gave a shit. Um, you know, and that was coming off the back to uh, Malcolm Fraser and, like, you know, the, the bringing Vietnamese refugees in in the late yeah. 70s, early 80s. And, yeah, it was just politically and socially, although when I think of, you, you think of the 80s and, like, you know, people having a smoke and going to play footy and then smashing a half a cart in the 4X and then, you know, going and picking up the kids from school, yeah. uh, all those sorts of things, um, you know, there was aspects of the uh, intellectual life and culture that just seem to have disappeared now. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes um, yeah. you feel like uh, Australians are more engaged with Black Lives Matter in the States than yeah. Aboriginal lives. Absolutely. You know, you see things happening on Twitter, but, like, that doesn't, it's not in the mainstream media or anything, really. You don't really no. see those sorts of things uh, raised uh, too much. Well, it's it's quite fascinating watching, you know, uh, so if you haven't seen the film, uh, it's kind of, and you, you know, uh, confronted by casual racism, uh, there yeah, is. That's a, <laughs> it, yeah. But I think it's also, like, I think it knows what it's doing and it, it's not just having casual racism for the sake of it. I think it's del- deliberately saying something with which characters are racist. And for me, the key to knowing that they're in control of it is that first time you see the Aboriginal people when his car's uh, stuck in the river. Mm-hmm. And it's it's shot- the worst part. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it's shot in yeah. a way that they look foreboding. Like, they're like, yes. oh, see, what are these people going to do? And then it's flipped on its head, it turns out they're mates with him and it's a really quite a funny scene. Yeah, sort of uh, the, the scene gives you, it sort of sort of pulls you in a bit with, you know, any sort of innate sense of like, you know, racism that might still be, in, you know, it sort of asks you that question straight away. Yeah. You know, how do you feel about this white guy who's trapped and helpless suddenly being surrounded? Yeah. And then, yeah, it, it pulls the rug very effectively. Um, and it's, he's a you know, terrible park ranger. He's like, what, up to about the top of the wheelbasin water? Can't get like, out. <laughs> Utterly shit at his job. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a nice, in, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a nice, yeah, it very quickly sort of like puts you into the headspace of the film, which is not quite what you expect. No. Um, I like that there's yeah, like, a little bit more going on with it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, and, yeah, yeah, sorry, go on. No, go. On. What were you going to say? Oh no, I was just going. I was just going to leap into the uh, you know the you know the redneck bureaucrats and the sort of uh, you know their villainy in in sort of uh, uh, cohort with the poachers and all the rest. You know, and just the be- some of the beautiful casting there as well. Oh yeah. By the way, the casting is phenomenal. The cast is so eighties. Like my t shirt <laughs> turned into a hypercolor t shirt halfway through watching this. 
is there anyone else that we could have thrown in to make this film really pop? Because we've got John Jarrett, we've got Nicky Coggle, uh, Max Phipps, Burnham Burnham, <laughs> David Goldblum, Ray Mir. Is there anyone else that you can think of that we could have thrown in? I, personally, I think we could have thrown in Gil Tucker. That would have really I helped did. things along. I immediately thought um, Ross Higgins. Did you remember Kingswood Country? Oh, yes. <laughs> Ted Bullpit. Yes. Uh, well, and, yeah, I mean, he and Ray Marshall, he, you know. Yeah. Got, you know <laughs> and do you remember, there's an actor called Paul Chubb oh. uh, who was in a show called, what, it was in a kid show called Watch This Space in the early 80s. Right. And another one of the actors from Dark Age, Ron Blanchard, was in that. And the premise of that was uh, a alien with a red face turns up on Earth and his neighbour decides to basically uh, harbour the illegal immigrant right. and <laughs> teach him how to behave like an Australian. Right. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they, they disguise his house as a suburban home and it's, you know, it's sort of a, yeah, cult, yeah a sort of culture clash, sort of, you know, perfect strangers with an alien. It's, and Paul Chubb, yeah. Not a bad He's idea. Got that. He's got one of those faces, you know, he's like one of those blown out sort of 80s sort of caricatures that would have fit really well in the cast right. as well. Yeah. I actually, look, look that one up, guys. It's on YouTube, I think. Yeah. yeah. I actually think that's a good idea now. Like I would, I would <laughs> oh, yeah. make that now and I would still have it set in the 80s. And you wouldn't get it. Yeah, again, you know, it's something that you probably wouldn't see on kids' TV. It was on the ABC. Right. Uh, but it was just, you know... And again, coming off the back of Malcolm Fraser and like his, you know, refugee intakes and everything, like it was a show about someone, you know, reaching out and taking care of someone who was from another planet. Right. Uh, yeah. Got some allegory in there. Uh, <laughs> Children's television right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This movie could have had some hoodoo gurus. What's my scene played every time the crop attacks? <laughs> That's the other thing I would have added. Hey, um, quick question. Why is the movie called Dark Age? Uh, so, well, it was called... Uh, a couple, a couple of theories on that. Uh, a little bit of the reading I did suggested it was it was supposed to evoke the Crocs' origins as being, you know, prehistoric. Okay, yep. Uh, from a darker age. But, you know, the Dark Ages, you know, weren't quite that long ago. Right. Uh, I mean, in the sense of the setting, I guess, you know, the Dark Age potentially uh, the ecological uh, disaster and, uh, you know, ongoing destruction of the natural wildlife, maybe. Right, right. Uh, if they're going to string that bow. But it was also called Croc right. uh, in Europe and yep. Croc Hunter right. <laughs> elsewhere, I think. So, yeah, they got straight to the point on that. <laughs> yeah, could have called it Bite. Like there's heaps yeah. of I feel like Dark Age is a title that is meant to tick a lot of boxes but in doing so, doesn't tick any boxes. <laughs> At all. No. <laughs> no. Got nothing, no. I kept waiting for a moment. Like I was even waiting for at least someone to, you know, have a bit of exposition where they go, well, this yeah. is a real dark age. And you go, oh, right, okay, that's why it's called dark yeah, age. Yeah, over that, yeah. No, no. I, 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 I might have mentioned it to you, but when I was, I was working at Umbrella Entertainment uh, five or six years ago, maybe it was now, and I worked on the Blu-ray for it and there was no insight into why it was called dark age. Uh, yeah. Whatsoever. No. <laughs> no. Great. No. That no. is, I, uh, I I don't feel so bad now because I was, if you'd said, yeah. It's I'm confused. Of, yeah, mm. no, it's good. Yeah. Uh, the first appearance of the croc took me by surprise because it doesn't take long to appear. Like I thought in these types of movies, it's going to be a slow build, but they're like, 
Now we fucking there paid is. for it. <laughs> Let's show it. And I guess you, you get you get over it very early. Oh, very early. <laughs> yeah. And you know, Bruce the shark from Jaws is looking at that croc and thinking that's not real. You know, I, I do like the idea of the dreaming crocodile. And uh, do we in in a sense, because we don't want to be appropriating uh, another culture's uh, stories and backgrounds, etc., have we in, gone too far in the opposite direction and therefore we don't touch on any of that? And can't, can't we still kind of find a middle ground where we can be exploring the Indigenous culture in our own backyard in a way that is respectful, that incorporates yeah, I mean, them? Yeah, I'm sure they, I'm sure they uh, would have had... Uh, you know, people who were culturally mediating that and giving advice. And, you know, I mean, Burnham Burnham was obviously like a very, you know, just renowned activist and yeah. actor. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, you know, he and David Gulpalil and the rest of the cast would have pulled them up if there were, you know, any concerns about that sort of stuff. But, yeah, right. it, does, it just doesn't happen now, does it? No, it feels no. like we're, no, 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 that's, like, I understand appropriate yeah, if it's done, as well. If it's done respectfully, like, you know, yeah. Or, you know, with enough consultation to actually ensure that, you know, it's being represented correctly. I'm, I'm so confused with the, like, I think there's such a fine line between appropriation where you're almost trying to pass yourself off as the other culture or, but mm. then there's, there's things like, I always look back at things like the British blues explosion where the, all those Brits were listening to the African-American blues music that couldn't get played in the States and by them, you know, doing covers and also being fans of that music, they then help bring it to the fore where, you know, suddenly like Jimi Hendrix broke big in the UK. Yeah. Like BB King and all those guys were touring after the Stones and, you know, Yardbirds yeah. and so on started to, yeah, sort of play the form and bring and, it over. And I feel like this, if, if you're not watching this film closely, which uh, unfortunately in modern times, a lot of people do, it's, it would be easy to dismiss it as a, a, a low-budget appropriation. But I, I think there is actually quite a lot of respect going on in this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a, there's, yeah, a lot going on. And, yeah, I don't think – I think it was all done very thoughtfully. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, everything I've read points to it getting another reading, you know, as it's – I mean, it wasn't released in Australia at the time. Uh, it was actually released in Europe um, – and then came out here. The first time it was screened in Australia was 2015. Oh, right. Is nearly, that the Tarantino? Nearly, uh, that maybe, was it Myth? Yeah. In 2015. So, yeah, it finally got released on DVD and Blu-ray a right. couple of years before that. And, yeah, the first time it was on screen was uh, 2015. Right. Um, it might have also gotten a bit of uh, love. There's a documentary that I've been meaning to bring up, which is came from 2008 by uh, Mark Hartley that's called Not Quite Hollywood. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> that, yeah, it really digs into all this year and it's, you know, a really good jumping off point. And it, that's the one that's got Tarantino singing the praises of, you know, all, you know, the filmmaking down here. And uh, I can't remember if he talks about Dark Age, but definitely, you know, uh, his love and respect for, you know, the exploitation genre yeah. really he, brings through, yeah. Did he coin the term? Is that his term for it or...? That documentary, I think, might have gone some way towards solidifying it. Yeah, I haven't watched right. it for a while, so I have to go back to it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, re I remember uh, kind of knowing of 
the majority of the films that they talked about, but not really having a title for it mm. uh, until until that point. Uh, what we uh, on uh, the Space Policy Limited series we're doing the uh, one of the movies that we covered is Under the Skin with uh, Scarlett Johansson, and one of one of the aspects of that film that I really love is the way normal people who aren't actors hold themselves on the screen. You know, they just hold themselves in a different way, and it, and it looks kind of bizarre because it it's not with any acting training and you think oh that's yeah, weird yeah. but that's actually how people look and I kind of enjoyed this film where there's kind of no pretension to it you know so the acting feels weirdly bizarre and also yeah I I know all of them yeah I mean even like John Garrett for God's sake you know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, there's no, you know, there's that sort of veneer that's not there in more contemporary film, isn't there? Where he's just sort of like snaggle-toothed, right? Got his short shorts and sort of doing his best. <laughs> yeah, and, and like everyone in it seems raw, you know. Mm. It doesn't. Uh, they're, they're quite clearly acting, but I had, uh, I had a horrific realization while I was watching it that um, Ray Ma, who was obviously the beloved, um, you know, home and away character actor. Yeah, uh, who plays Al Stewart? Uh, he was actually the age I am now when that was made. Oh right! Wow, <laughs> different times, yeah. right? Different times, yeah. Yeah, uh, that camera's a lot a lot crueler. Yeah. thirty five years ago. God. <laughs> yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's like when we all got HD TVs and we suddenly went, oh, David Letterman's old, isn't he? What's going on there? Yeah. Wait, oh, Alf, mate. <laughs> uh, so I have to ask you after the first attack. Uh, why is the guy hiding in the mud like he's Arnie and Predator? Is that is that a way to get away from a croc, or is that a is that a failed attempt yeah, to get good. on? Hey, hey, it's Saturday. Like, what's happening there? Because he lost his hand too. Yeah, um, there's a there's a yeah. There's some stuff we won't go into it now. Um, <laughs> thinking about stuntmen later on, but yeah, um, good question. I mean, Predator came out the same year, so they couldn't nick it. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, uh, I, yeah. As far as I'm aware, for maybe staying still. Yeah. Once you're once you're out of the water. Uh, yeah. But yeah, not. I should have asked my neighbour's uh, dad. He was here on the weekend, and um, I raised. I brought up the fact I was watching uh, Dark Age the night before, and he's right. like, "I'm from Cairns." I was like, "Oh yeah." Um, he's like, "We fucking hate Crocs up there." <laughs> and there came there came the rant that uh, I didn't yeah didn't really tie into my reading of the film. Oh, yeah, uh, getting out and about, meeting people. Um, yeah, well, next time you ask, uh, see him, ask him uh, if the best way to hide from a croc is to cover yourself in mud. Is it bron- bronze up even? Bronze up, yeah, yeah. full bronze. <laughs> <laughs> if he can produce that much yeah, in the required time. I uh, I love when Steve finds one of the corpses of the men uh, killed by the croc and he pulls at the hand and it comes loose and then he walks off with it and I'm like, what what do you reckon he does with that hat? Is he does he throw it away? Does he take it back with him? Not not a very convincing hand either from memory. No, it's, <laughs> it's so funny the way he just pulls it out and he kind of looks yes, it up and then he's like, ah, fuck, and just keeps walking, holding ashtray. it. Ashtray. Good ashtray. Ah, so My uh, very, very um tropical uh love pad that I've got. Um just, oh yeah, uh, embalm that, and uh, yeah, it can be an ashtray for next time Nikki comes over. Yeah, I like the idea that that turns into a <laughs> into a nice ashtray. <laughs> Let me tell you about the story when that croc went nuts. It's a conversation starter. The 
uh, the Aboriginal Order played by Burnham Burnham is great. And I love when Steve points out the, because he, uh, for the people who haven't seen the film, uh, the Aboriginal Elder is saying like the croc is older than time. We can't kill it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And when uh, Steve points out that the croc killed a child, he replies, it's fine. The kid was always sick. The croc only takes sick people. So I guess that makes it fine. Uh, well, I've got a uh, flawed <laughs> contemporary reading of the film. That okay. won't hold water, but I'm okay. going to just run through it quickly. And if you haven't seen it, it's on Amazon Prime, which I know is giving money to a certain uh, space-faring asshole. But, um, you know, if you look hard on the internet, you can find it and not have to give him that money. Right. Um, if, if, I, I, if I didn't give money to all of the assholes out there, I will no, no, <laughs> not watch anything, not listen to anything. Exactly, yeah. yeah. This one's pretty safe. Or just buy the DVD. There you go. There's a shout-out to the old employer. Yep. Uh, but the flawed contemporary reading is, uh, is the climate change analogy. Okay. And it's about climate policy. This is just a pure, uh, you, know, uh, you know, writing an essay, 2021. Uh, the first two poachers to be taken, uh, this is where the real flora is, but we can think of them as uh, Julia Gillard and Kevin Rudd. Right. <laughs> being, having their uh, attempt to, like, put in an ETS uh, a decade ago. Right. Uh, the third, the, the little boy is Malcolm Turnbull. Oh, the one whose head gets popped? Whose yeah, who's head get, gets caved in, yep. yep. Um, <clears throat> so basically the redneck bureaucracy is the National Party room. Uh, you can pick your own Matthew Canavan and Barnaby Joyce out of them. I think it's pretty easy. Oh, yeah. And uh, Max Fitz, uh, the main villain's character, is Scott Morrison. Oh, yeah. Currently oh. releasing his little pamphlet, um, yep. trying to get that policy and uh, shoot it in the head. Yep. And Steve Harris can either be Albanese, Adam Bant, or probably no one that's <laughs> right. currently in Parliament. Yeah, it's not anyone that I can really think of. Penny Wong? No, I can't really. Maybe Penny Wong. Yeah. yeah. Someone TBC. But, yeah, that's uh, – I was uh, yeah, just having a think about it this morning, and that's the uh, – that, that's, the, that's the current reading of the That's building. my current reading, yeah. Well, it's, it's a, a weird conglomeration of uh, – uh, different types of movies as well, so it, which allows it to have these readings. Like there's the scene where the croc attacks at, at, at the beach and it's kind of like a combination of the scene from Jaws with the beach and then the running through the sand and the music kind of recalls Gallipoli and it's kind of all funny and then the croc attacks the young children and we see it crush the small boy's Pretty head. Brutal. And you like... <laughs> What the fuck just happened? Like, it takes a turn for the dark really quickly, doesn't it? It's like, come on, kid, that croc is really slow. and Like, really slow? Not, not moving at any crocodile speed that you see, you know, with the actual uh, uh, archival footage of crocs. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, just he was sick. He was sick. It was fine. And, and Numanwal, he just comes to cleanse the people who were sick and, you know, who were a burden on the community. Yeah. <laughs> so... So you know, like I know, mum's fine. Mum's fine with it. Yeah, yeah no, I get it. He, he always, he was always sneezing. Like maybe it's now it's a COVID analogy. Yeah, it could be a COVID issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is uh, this is an anti-vaxxer's uh, dream movie. <laughs> the croc is uh, the vaccination, and mm. it's killing our children. Oh shit! Don't listen to anti-vaxxers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure none. Don't use this one. <laughs> yeah, you've got none. No, that's right. Yeah. Um, I also uh, there's real. Uh, moments where the dialogue swings dramatically so 
when Steve's talking to Kathy, his ex-lover, about saving the croc, and he's like, we've got to save it. And she then accuses him of liking crocs more than children. And then that turns into an argument over why he never wanted children. <laughs> and it's such yeah, a I mean, I thought Steve was just out there rooting. <laughs> Right. Like, as well, like, you know, because they, you know, they talk about how much, it, you know, there's a bit of a sly, you know, ranger right. on the move. Um, you know, those uh, press khaki shorts and yeah, no, the, press, I, the, the, the linen shirt. and the, Makes sense. He would have been a catch yeah. up there. I mean, well, I think that I found really funny uh, was this, the eventual sex scene oh. is shorter than the chase of the young toughs with the wino. So it is, so I've got written here, uh, the most confronting moment in the movie for me is the love scene. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's like. Well, it's about, it's about a third as long as the actual chase of the guy, of the, of the you know, the, the guy with the wine bottle who uh, takes off. Well, that's. The on top other- of everything else. And, yep. Well, that's the other thing that makes me laugh is the old vagrant is being attacked by some hoons. We already get the line, shove a beer bottle up his ass from one yeah. of the hoons, and you're like, holy shit. Like, when this movie decides to go raw, it goes really raw. But then we cut to this lovemaking scene, which seems to come out of nowhere and is kind of, you know what, yeah. I'm happy to watch John Jarrett act. I'm not ready to no, watch no. Steve go down on Kathy. It's, it's just, yeah, I'm, 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 you know, there are photos of my uncles from the 1980s and it could be John Jarrett with a moustache and I don't need that shit in my no. life. No. But then, then you get the love scene and then it's like, oh, the vagrant. Oh, yeah, he's been... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we better get be to that. Someone's got to get eaten. So, I <laughs> I mean, the producer of this is Anthony Ganain, yeah. who, you know, he's still around, so we will be very generous and say he's an eclectic... Um, a producer who's made a lot of low-budget films uh, in a variety of genres uh, that tend, generally tend to have a lot of TNA. Yeah. And he was also the inspiration for Tony Martin's Warren Perso. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same moustache, uh, yeah. same same sort of uh, overall um, production uh, philosophy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's where a lot of that stuff's coming from too. He would have uh, demanded that Nicky Coghill and uh, John Jarrett had to, <clears throat> you know, argue about whether crocodiles are better than children and then just turn that around and uh, get down to it. It is when, when you realise that he was the inspiration for Warren Perzo and for anyone who has never seen the Warren Perzo sketch, it's one of my all-time favourite Australian sketches. And I can hear Tony Martin uh, almost saying, what this fucking scene needs is a, it's a love scene, you know, just throwing it in, but just throwing it in this middle of this mm. action is such a weird vibe. It really, I found it really entertaining. The, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and also, like that old guy, like, <laughs> why is he being terrorised? Like, kids just see him and decide. Did he have a yell at the car when they went past? Or they, yeah, I, yeah, they went to run him down or something. And then, yeah, it's so funny. Um, and just such great sort of mid-80s sort of teen homes as well. Like yeah. probably more violent than American ones. Like, the, you know, the, the punks from Terminator and all that sort of stuff sprung to mind. But, yeah, like sticking the bottle up his ass was like, hang on a minute. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's kind of like the yeah. movie is one thing and it just has these moments like the kids' yeah. head popping and language like that where you're like, Wow, that just became quite confronting, and I was not That's expecting cool. it. The 
Australia, mate. Yep. As it is, yeah, it's fucking Aussie, mate. I'd love to know how many beers were thrown and opened in this film. I'm guessing that's where most of the budget went, don't you reckon? That's probably, yeah. Like, uh, there's so it. many just thrown, <laughs> catch, you know, drink. Irresponsibly, just, yeah, putting them in the creek or in the, in the swamp. Like, no, it, it really is a statement on. <laughs> well, it also brings, you know, it brings to my, yeah, I guess we'll. We'll talk about Wake and Fry a lot and one day we'll get to it. But, yeah, I mean, it's the, those, those, the poachers sort of bring to mind um, the kangaroo hunting scene as well where yeah. they're just constantly, like, hammering this and, you know. I mean, it's a big big through line in Australian, you know, culture, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm sure Forex probably, you know, reopened. You could keep the factory open for a bit longer based off the budget for that film. Right. For Dark Age, $4.8 <laughs> million worth of beer. Beer. That's where it all <laughs> and went. And one shit crocodile. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lord. There's a, there's a few editing moments, uh, like lots of kind of quick cuts that reminded me a little bit of Edgar Wright's storytelling. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I, I just wondered, uh, I wonder if he's across this film. Do you, has he ever uh, talked about it? Or do you know if this movie has a, an underground reach that uh, we're not quite aware of? I mean, my only guess would be that he would have, might have seen it, you know, as a 10, 15-year-old in, you know, in the UK or, you know, on a little jaunt. I think it was released in France as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, otherwise, I don't think the VHS had a lot of penetration outside of those areas. No. Um, no, as it were. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, and again, like, you know, maybe uh, not quite Hollywood would have been the first time I would have seen it, by which time yeah. we'd already have made a couple of films, so. Yeah, but it's, yeah, a, yeah, it's a very... A good one to ask him, yeah. I, I'd be what were you thinking of specifically? Uh, I think there was a scene where uh, I think it's like getting ready to go on the boat and it's lots of, you know, close-ups of the, you know, beer, you know, shoe, yep. you know, that kind of... Uh, it's very, very much a right yeah, thing that yeah. he was doing in... Um, what was the TV series that he did with Simon Pegg? Uh, Spaced. Spaced, you know, yeah. which kind of started there. But, yeah, it was just a funny thing to kind of notice. Which was a sort of rip on um, the classic uh, Commando with Schwarzenegger. Oh, that's got a right. gear, Yeah, the, gear, the gearing up scene, which is, yeah. you know, insane and over the top, where he's just before he goes and murders 400 um, <laughs> Spanish guys on an island. <laughs> right. I think those no, South American guys on an island, yeah. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, that's, I think a lot of that stuff's always like a reference to uh, Commando would have come out in Australia maybe the year before. Yeah. Who knows? If, I mean, the, the director of this, uh, was his name was Arch Nicholson, and he was uh, assistant director on Razorback. Right. And right. otherwise made a lot of episodes of Flying Doctor, Flying Doctors. Yes. And a, and a film called Fortress that's not the Christopher Lambert one. Uh, that came out a couple of years before too. So he may have, you know, that might have been in the wheelhouse to sort of right. give, give Arnie a shout out. Maybe like they, yeah. you know, with, with the little bit of uh, research I did on this, they said that they were homaging uh, Jaws quite mm. a bit. So yeah. there's a shooting star. Yeah. <laughs> in the, <laughs> which I had to look up because I was like, that's there for a reason. Come yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, why the fuck's there a shooting star suddenly just like, you know, carefully animated over the. Mate, just, just a shout out. Just a shout out yeah. to Spielberg. Yeah. The, uh, you know, there, there is a, uh, an interesting anti capitalist vibe uh, through the film. Like, Raymar even has the line Jan, bring in the plans for the Japanese condominium. 
<laughs> it's uh, it's never far from the narrative, is it? Like for something no. that's a you know kind of a very straightforward I mean, <laughs> uh, movie, it's it it is kind of saying quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, looking having. Uh, lived up here uh, not that far north for the last couple of years. You know, that's obviously he could have owned a fish and chip shop in Ipswich and uh, decided to go into the Senate, uh, Ray Mars character. Um, right, right. You know, that attitude is <laughs> <Man>. definitely <laughs> prevalent, yeah. The uh, the, the final uh, car chase, uh, it's got some, uh, I, I don't know, maybe some early DNA of Mad Max Fury Road. Like, it's it's pretty brutal and the crash... At the end, I have to be honest, I thought it was pretty impressive. <laughs> and it's not, not in a Hollywood way, but it looked dangerous. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I actually just went and rewatched it before we chatted because I thought, yeah, uh, it, it, did, it did stand out as something that was, uh, yeah, the actual uh, collision itself was like once they've set up that uh, Gulpalil and Burnham Burnham are doing their own stunts, really. Yeah. Like strapped strap to the front of the truck. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, there are plenty of ways to sort of make that a lot less dangerous, but nonetheless. Well, it didn't look like yeah, that. It's pretty airy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure that, I think that last shot where you sort of see it through the bush before it crashes is where they would have gotten someone, you know, and uh, <clears throat> done the <laughs> done him up as Burnham Burnham to get him oh. into position. But, yeah. It's, it's a full-on scene, and it's quite... It's quite visceral, like you know, this, and the car's pretty good too. That yeah. uh, Max Phipps is in with the bad guys, you know. Yeah, uh, got you know, God knows why he's got like a late seventies muscle car up there, right? Although it probably fits. It should have been a Monaro, probably, but like yeah, the muscle car with the uh, hand painted number plate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which makes you know he's utterly terrifying. Oh, uh, and the the final uh, you know fight scene is great. I, I love that Burnham Burnham uh, pulls out. Uh, you know, one spear and the guys with guns freak out. <laughs> yep. he's, got a, he's got a wooden spear. Let's get out of here. <laughs> so entertaining. A little bit of secret, a little bit of secret valley in it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and then the, the final scene, you get uh, Steve yelling at the sky. Classic. Great. But I also love, that's the last you see of Steve. Like it really ends on, he's done his job and now he's lost his mate. <laughs> And there's no there's no scene where he reunites with Kathy. Yeah. There's no uh, scene well, where, you know. But but there's no scene where Gulpil kind of says, "Ah, oh, you yeah, know, just, like, the spirit yeah, is like, gone. It's, like it's, it's just it's, dumb." Yeah, it's barely what I think it's an hour and a half of credits. Right. <laughs> so yeah, you, you know, it's yeah, it's like an hour twenty five or something. Yeah, it, yeah, it just cuts off sort of like yep. at that point. Yep, we've told the story, but then that's uh, enough. And so the, for the final final scene where after they saved the Dreaming Croc and, like, what's going on with David Gubbill? What's he doing with the croc? Is he cleaning its teeth or is he feeding it? Like, what was he putting a swab it in it? Like, like, it seems to be like, you know, an inference, uh, you know, that with a lot of the ceremonial things that they're communicating with it. Right. Or there's, like, sort of an old God sort of aspect to the, the croc. Yeah. Um. I mean, you know, I'm totally into the idea they're just using it to just kill off all the assholes up there, like a sort of prehistoric, more prehistoric Charles Bronson. Just uh, <laughs> yeah, pointing, just pointing at it, you know, shitheads, so, um, you know, sick kids. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's one of the, yeah, there's a lot of scenes that you sort of, you could 
uh, infer that that was the, you know, some of the ritual and, you know, worship of it was sort of that it was a, the, it was their sort of uh, punisher. Right. Yeah. Yes. The okay. Protector. We'll say protector. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're do, doing a little bit of both, actually. Yeah. Cleaning up, cleaning up shit around cams. It's a fascinating ending. And I did kind of think, uh, uh, I did wonder if there was an implication that they'd kind of been working with the croc a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, but I just got really confused because the thing that he was putting in the mouth yeah. really looked like a massive cotton bud. I think it was a bit of chicken or something. Was it like a, was a it? leg or something? A leg right. or something? Yeah. Right. Maybe it was yeah. that. Could, <laughs> they could have kept some of the kid's leg. Oh, it could have been the hand. Could have been the head. There we go. Went and got Steve up there. Steve's ashtray buggered, but yeah. So, so would you like to see this movie remade? Uh, so, I haven't seen it recently, but Greg McLean, who made Wolf Creek, yep. who John Jarrett is in, um, yep. made a crop film a couple of years later called Rogue. Mm. Um, oh yeah, I which, forgot about that. Yeah, uh, I haven't rewatched recently and remember not very much of. Uh, but I'm guessing that's his sort of homage after having worked with Jarrett. Right. Uh, which is, <laughs> I speak, you know, in terms of like, you know, uh, current cultural concerns, I guess Wolf Creek is like fear of boomers. Right. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, Mick Taylor's uh, going to murder you if you your, uh, you know, road trip right. <laughs> goes all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're into in 2005, just getting tortured by a... <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I Home never Improvement really, dude. Yeah, that film was one of those. Oh man, that I was walked out. Yeah, yeah, I kind of walked out going, I just don't know why I had to experience that. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely didn't go back for the second one. I was not a fan of the, of the torture porn in general. Like that, that no. whole sort of like post nine eleven movement of like you know having people going to like getting getting killed in inventive ways. Just no. right. And just the extreme. No, not really. No, (laughs) I'm kind of done with that. The uh, yeah, this was uh, this was good though. I really enjoyed this one, and I I reckon it's worthwhile checking out as well. It's uh, especially if you haven't seen these kinds of films before. Once again, the there is a casual racism to it, but it does feed into the spirit of the characters, and you know there is they get their comeuppance, yeah. And it's definitively, they're the bad yeah, guys, you know. Absolutely. So, so you just have to be aware because the first time <laughs> a couple of times. Oh, yeah, like, like, it's just like, hang geez, on a minute. <laughs> wow. I did not see this coming at all. Yeah. But, uh, did, did Ray Ma survive? I can't, he did, didn't he? He's still I think, out there. Well, I think he would have survived, but I, I reckon that Japanese condom, condominium <laughs> isn't being built. So, you know, maybe he's voted out at the next election or whatever his role back. was. I thought, yeah, I thought he was the mayor for a while, but I think he's just uh, one of the Parks and Wildlife or the, the boss for the Parks yeah. and Wildlife up there um, with his sideline. In, in, well, the, the crocodile would have cleared the land for him. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> you know, well, I, look, I reckon let's make, a, let's make a belated sequel. Let's bring back everyone. Oh, yeah, they're mostly still around. Yeah, yeah, you know, John John Jarrett's called out of retirement <laughs> to uh, come to terms with the dreaming crop. Come on, Steve, back you go. Yeah. Oh man, no, it's fantastic. Well, uh, thank you for bringing this to the uh, attention of not just me, but uh, uh, lots of people who are discovering the Osborne. Definitely, Nation. definitely worth a Friday night uh, viewing. Um, yeah, 
and it's only what ninety minutes. And you, you, yeah. which one did you do the artwork for? Which uh, version? Uh, I did the graphics for the Blu-ray version that came out uh, just before the Melbourne Film Festival, yeah. um, International Film Festival. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So that's where I sort of yeah came into contact with a lot of this stuff for the first time, uh, just because you got your pack of free DVDs every month from work. Yeah, <laughs> what was the uh, how did you uh, so what was the brief like? Were you given a brief, or did you have to watch the film and then pitch a whole lot of? Uh, uh, generally, you. I mean, this in this context, it was like they just like you know they just hand you the old artwork and get you to modernise it a bit and sort of get it up you know to those to what was perceived as marketable in yeah. that at that time. Uh, so you know you'd be taking uh, in yeah in this case just like use some more modern fonts and things like that. But right. sometimes you'd go back and you know try and expressly make an old piece of shit uh, look like you know not in the exploitation sense, but you know they. I remember uh, redesign. They released the old Captain America TV show. Oh right, yeah, with um, Matt Salinger. Oh no, no, this is like the seventies one with the motorbike and the. Oh yeah, the right. motor- yeah, yeah. Uh, right. And the the brief was this is like trade secrets. The brief was make it look like the first Avenger. Right. Uh, and you spend all your time basically, you know, stealing all the title treatments and all the rest and then trying to make it mirror the first Avenger as closely as possible. <laughs> right. Although it's just a fat, a fat guy with a helmet, a motorbike helmet and a clear shield. <laughs> so good. But lots of that stuff, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a, a fat Captain America. <laughs> I love it. Uh, that's great. Well, uh, do you have a – do you have – Something in mind for the next uh, segment yet, uh, or should we? I do, wait? yeah. No, I've got my I've got my political dander up so now that uh, we've gone through the the National Party um, illusions. Yeah. Uh, so thought we'd take a little bit of a, a sidebar and look at a uh, actual piece of video art that came out a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, from a collective from Sydney called Soda Jerk. Um, this is a piece called. It's called Terra Nullius. It's T-E-R-R-O-R Nullius. Um, and it's a work that it's about an hour long and you can yep. find it on Vimeo, on Vimeo. And basically what it takes, it takes uh, a whole bunch of exploitation films and footage and repurposes them as a commentary on uh, Australian politics circa 2018. Yep. So we haven't, it hasn't improved since then. Uh, obviously. So, I've, yeah, this is sort of there's a lot of uh, discussion about national identity, colonialism, um, just, through, yeah, taking those, taking all the exploitation stuff and sort of reconfiguring it and reimagining scenes and inserting politicians, things like that, into the narrative. And it's, it's really clever. Uh, yeah. It's really, yeah, it's very much worth a look and I think it will help to sort of like, you know, get your head around a lot of the things we've been talking about today too in terms of like the thematic concerns and that sort of stuff. And it's genuinely okay. funny too. It's really yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah, great. Yeah. All right, well, we'll tackle that next. And I also insist on our next record, you continue to wear your daughter's headphones because you look very pretty with them. Cool. So I send you a photo for the next uh, pod release with the headphones. Yeah, please do. Um, <laughs> people, people need to see it. It looks good. All right. Thanks, mate. Beautiful. All right, thanks, Justin. Thanks.
thank you to Garth for taking the time to introduce me to this movie. I'd never seen it before. And um, look, I always love hanging out with Garth anyway, but just uh, having an excuse to check out these films has been fantastic. Uh, A big thank you to our Patreon subscriber for the episode, Jamie. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you've seen Dark Age or you end up watching Dark Age, please write to me and let me know what you think of the film. If you'd like a shout-out and some extra goodies for the podcast, please head over to the Patreon site and look up Justin Hamilton Big Squid and you will find a tier that suits you. If you're keen to show some uh, support or some appreciation for the podcast but don't want to commit to a subscription, a top review on Apple Podcasts is fantastic or, you know what, even recommending Big Squid to like-minded friends is just as good. Uh, Whatever you want to do is appreciated. Heck, I'm just happy if you download it and listen. So whatever you're doing, it's great. Just keep doing that. Uh, Let's finish with a quote from Quentin Tarantino. The man who coined the term Ozploitation and who loves Australian cinema, specifically this period. Quentin said, Australian genre films were a lot of fun because they were legitimate genre movies. They were real genre films and they dealt in a way like the Italians did with the excess of genre. And that has been an influence on me. Until then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.